Hi, welcome to podcast number 37, brought to you by Help with Parkinson's. Our guest today is Dr. Subramanian, movement disorder specialist from Hershey Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Sub. Thank you, Warren, for having me again. Good, and I'm Warren Butfinick, your host. So, Dr. Sub, there's a, we had somebody on our website contact us, and it seemed a little bit different with what they're asking. So it's something we've talked about for months, but uh, this person's still, it seems their therapy's a little bit different. And uh, they did go to a movement disorder specialist. And um, so I'm just going to bring you these questions she, she, she left me, and we'll see how it goes. Okay. Okay. So um, the first thing was she said, I listened to the podcast, which I told her to, to listen to podcast number nine. She found it very informative. But her questions were, what, what are the side effects of common PD medicines? Because she's concerned about going on the medications. Right. Okay, so um, let's take that question um, very, uh, very detailed way. So the commonest medicine that most patients are on is a medicine called Cinnamon, otherwise called Carbidopa Levodopa. Um, this medicine has been around for 70 plus years. It was first uh, introduced in the market by uh, a company called DuPont, which no longer makes uh, medications, but it's well known for its chemicals and so on and so forth. Uh, and its headquarters is fairly close to us in uh, Delaware. And DuPont um, marketed this drug for many years. It had intellectual property for 10 plus years. Initially, when the drug was marketed, it was a magical pill because we didn't have any treatment for Parkinson's disease prior to that, or at least the medicines we had were very poorly tolerated, did not have a lot of uh, benefits. But then when Carbidopa came into the market, it really changed the face of Parkinson's disease. We were able to make people better, improved, and quality of life dramatically um, got better. However, at that time, in the early phase when the medicine came out in the late um, 60s, 70s, uh, maybe 80s when it was commercially available uh, in its practice, uh, doctors did not know how to medicate patients correctly. And as a result, there were a lot of side effects. Now, since then, in the 90s, this has been investigated in great detail a large multi-center trial funded by our tax dollars uh, called ELLODOPA, E-L-L-O-D-O-P-A, was completed and, again, was not paid for by the drug company. By that time, DuPont has already lost its patent. It had become a generic drug. It had become a cheap, easily available drug. But yet people had fears that carbidopa-levodopa could produce side effects, and the side effects can be dramatic, like, some examples of side effects that, are, that were touted as problematic are the kind of side effects that you see on some of the TV artists such as Michael J. Fox and other famous personalities who um, have been become the face of Parkinson's disease. But this study, Allodopa study, that uh, included a large amount of patients, a very big, almost 1,000 patients, were followed for a long period of time. These are brand new diagnosed patients. They were never treated before, and they were told either to take one pill three times a day or one and a half pills three times a day or two pills three times a day. 
And the last group was placebo. They were not given any medicine at all. So they were divided into four groups and they were followed for a very long period of time. And this uh, group of patients came from all over the United States and Canada. So largest, one of the largest studies that could be done. It was done very well. FDA audited, um, NIH funded, uh, very severe regulatory uh, control over who's enrolling who, how carefully they're watched, et cetera. Now, if you think about it, this is a study of brand new patients, never been treated. They've never been biased in any way. And the money for this is coming not from industry, not from anywhere else. It's taxpayer dollars that was paying for it. Third, it was controlled, blinded, placebo controlled, meaning nobody knew what the patients were getting. They were, uh, the doctors didn't know it. The patients didn't know it. And it was also regulated very, very clearly under supervision of the FDA. And uh, government regulators were keeping a real close eye on how this study was being done. And what did it show? At the end of the study, when everybody was unblinded and the data was looked at, clearly there was no evidence that the drug was harmful. And in fact, the placebo group, which didn't get any real medicine, got placebo medicine, really did worse. And the group that got one pill three times a day and the group that got one and a half three times a day, they actually did very well. Now, the group that got two pills three times a day, which is a very high dose, nobody in the real world actually gets that kind of dose because always we start low and we build it up. Now, the group that got two pills three times a day did get some side effects. Now, they got overdosed. And it actually taught us that you shouldn't give that high a dose. It should be given at a modest lower dose and we should titrate it based on what kind of benefit you see. So this study, which has been, which is already now 10 years old, more than 10 years old, had already told us that this medicine does not have a lot of side effects. Now, during that time when this study came out, unfortunately, um, the drug carbidopa levodopa did not have powerful corporate backing. Uh, in that same time, there were other drugs that were already in the market, particularly dopamine agonists, uh, ropinarol and primapexol, which did have corporate backing and had a large pharmaceutical market force uh, that was pushing for those drugs. And they tried to make the case that this study was not good and people should not follow what the study results show. And they tried to make carbidopa, levodopa, or otherwise called cinnamon, look bad. And this has unfortunately given or tainted um, the data to support that this medicine is actually good. And more recently, and we talked about it in a recent podcast, uh, the Europeans decided to repeat the study. And this was also a large study. And it included a large number of patients. And it was done in multiple countries in Europe. And they asked the same question. If you take a brand new patient who's just diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, divided them into two groups, one group got the medicine, carbidopalavidopa or similar drugs, and then another group, you denied them the medicine. You didn't give them the medicine. And you waited for a while. And then you switched both groups into the medicine and see what happens. And again, patients were followed for a considerable period of time. European agency was very carefully monitoring everything. It was not funded by drug companies. So there was no kickback or whatever. Nothing, ha no, focus, focus was happening. 
it was very carefully monitored by a number of different agencies, European agencies, and even American observers were there. And what did they find? Again, they found the same thing. Patients who were denied medicines, who didn't take medicine, did poorly. The patients who got treated first, they did very well. And there was no difference between the people who took medicine for a longer period of time versus the people who took medicine for a shorter period of time. Clearly no difference in the outcomes at all. So denying medicines does not give you any advantage whatsoever. North Africa have a lot of access to doctors, is, uh, uh, had one, only one Parkinson doctor in one particular country. The country's name is Chad, C-H-A-D. And what they found, these investigators had found that many, many, many Parkinson patients there did not have access to good medication. However, people who were in a big city in Chad, one of their capital cities, was getting medicine early and they were getting treatment early. So they decided to ask the question, people who were denied care for a long time and started getting medicine, and people who got medicine early in the disease, is there a difference between them? And they found out that there was no difference whatsoever in outcomes, the complications, side effects, everything was just the same. Again, pointing to the same point, which is denying treatment or delaying treatment really does not give you any kind of advantage whatsoever. And the side effects of the medicine are very minimal if the medicine is properly used. Using the medicine early does not make you at risk for more side effects. Denying treatment does not give you any advantage. And using medicine correctly is more important than anything else. So I hope I answered um, those questions uh, with that little explanation. Yes, and uh, I'd like to just give you a little backstory I didn't really get into in the beginning was uh, this person has had Parkinson's for a couple of years and still is not on any medication. So um, that's, that's why we were answering the question that she had. And uh, so right. I, think she, it, I think it's more than a couple of years, if, you, if I remember, Warren. What, yeah, seven, seven years. Almost seven years. So mm-hmm. waiting for one year sometimes is something that people would advise because the doctor may not be sure of the diagnosis. Say, okay, let me just follow you along. Let me see how much of your disease progresses over time. And this may happen in the setting of where you cannot order certain tests or there are difficulty ordering certain tests or whatever. In that case, you may decide to forestall or delay treatment until you know for sure whether there is, there is a, uh, a treatment at, at at stake or you want to know the diagnosis for sure. But seven years is a very long period of time. And I don't see the reason uh, why one would wait that long to treat somebody. Right. That's definitely not the way we've been having our podcasts. Right. It's been sort of on the other side. Yeah. And uh, just one thing that this is what used to make people nervous about taking the medicine. I read a while ago that when the drug first came out, they gave it to people for the first time, and some people just had diagnosed that year. Other people have been having it for 10 years, and they found that people with 10 years were, um, were having trouble getting the medicine to work for them, and they assumed that it was because the medicine was only good for so many years. Right. But it's actually not the fact that it's only good for so many years. 
it's only good for as long as you've been diagnosed because eventually your brain can't soak up the dopamine from the pills. Well, so it's, it's a, yes. So this is a common myth. The the myth is that uh, if you start Parkinson medicine, they only have a certain period of good use and you want to hold it back as much as you can until when you're ready to use it and then use it when you're ready to use it. This is also not true. There's no, no truth to this myth at all. Um, Carbidopa levodopa, which is the medicine that we've talked and spent some time on, uh, is a precursor. It's a medicine that needs to be converted into dopamine in your body. So it's not that the medicine lacks the ability to work, but it has to be converted in your body into the active substance. And because you have Parkinson's disease and the enzyme that is required for the conversion of levodopa to dopamine, that particular enzyme, um, is uh, the one is is located in the nerve cells that are degenerating. Therefore, as you degenerate more, then there's fewer and fewer of that enzyme available. So you can't really convert your L-dopa into dopamine effectively. So it's really not that there is a certain time frame in which you can use it. It's because the conversion becomes less effective that the medicine's uh, efficacy becomes less. So if you think about it, Logically, think about it. If you wait longer, you're going to have less of that enzyme anyway. So what's the point in delaying uh, the treatment? Uh, you're going to have less enzyme to convert it if you just wait longer. It's not like you wait longer than you preserve it longer. You don't. Um, in fact, if you treat early, there is evidence that enzyme induction may be more effective. And therefore, if it is more effective, we, we will be able to use this medicine much nicer and much more controlled fashion. So uh, the myth is just a myth. There is no uh, benefit by delaying the treatment whatsoever. Um, and there's no evidence that doing the treatment early gives rise to more complications. Okay. And that ties into another question this patient had, that let's say the patient just doesn't want medication and they live with the tremors until they can't. Is there any harm to the actual disease process waiting, or is it more just being uncomfortable? Right. So that's a good point and an interesting point. Um, so tremor, I agree, is majority of the time just seeking attention to the disease, and vast majority of people who have resting tremor are not disabled by it. Tremor itself doesn't interfere with day-to-day life. However, Biggest problem in Parkinson's disease is not the tremor, but many other unrecognized mild symptoms, like, for example, loss of balance, loss of coordination, uh, difficulty with uh, fine motor uh, movements. Uh, These are the things that really disable people. And I always fear for the people who are untreated, whether they're going to be at risk of falling and tripping, which many people just sort of, dismiss as something that comes with age. And that's not true at all. Uh, Just because you're 65 years old or 60 year old, you're not uh, at risk of falling and shouldn't be at risk of falling. And therefore, uh, sometimes there are subtle findings that a good movement disorder specialist will be able to look and examine and tell that puts you at risk for falls. And if you're at risk for falls, then not being treated is not doing you any good. You know, because one fall could be 
setting you back significantly in many different ways that I don't even need to explain. So um, personally, I think there's really no disadvantage for treating early and there's no advantage for procrastinating treatment. Uh, now, if you really want a second opinion or a third opinion, that's okay. And waiting for a year to make sure things are more stable, that's also okay. And I think in general, the vast majority of people could benefit from treatment. And the treatment is uh, using medicines that doesn't have to be expensive. Okay. And uh, the, she, the flip side of that question is, she has here, does, uh, if the medicine is given, does it stop the tremors and does it delay the progression of the disease? That's, this is actually a very good question. And I think this is one question that uh, I do tell my patients. I spend a lot of time discussing it. Tremor, it only responds 50% of the time to medication. And this uh, dovetails to what I already said earlier. Uh, tremor itself is not a major disabling feature of Parkinson's disease. It brings attention to the disease. And getting rid of it may be important, may not be important. In most cases, it's not important. However, it brings attention to many other aspects of Parkinson's disease that require treatment. So to answer the question of this listener, the answer is that not always does the medicine completely abolish the tremor. It certainly improves the tremor, but may not completely abolish it. Um, And complete abolishing of the tremor is not that critical. So that part is uh, cleared up. Second part do medications slow the progression of disease? That's a great question because to date we don't have medicines that actually slow down progression of disease. They're all symptomatic treatment. There are a few medicines that looked very promising. One example is a medicine called selegiline. It's still around and we still use it. Uh, we thought it could prevent disease progression, but it turned out that that effect was not very strong and we could not detect it in big major studies, so it fell through. And then we had another drug called rasagiline, which is still around, um, and we use that quite a bit. Its commercial name is Azilec, A-Z-I-L-E-C-T, but its uh, chemical name is rasagiline, R-A-S-A-G-I-L-I-N-E. That medicine also had a promise of uh, neuroprotection, and we tried in two large trials, which looked extremely promising, looked like, wow, that's going to work. But then unfortunately, a third trial that was done didn't pan out. So again, um, that medicine, we still think has some neuroprotection, but very hard to prove because we don't have good data. And the trial, the last trial that was done really truly failed. Uh, But these are things that we have discovered over the years that it could have major impact in Parkinson's disease. And we continue to look for those types of medicines, uh, medicines that provide neuroprotection. And most recently, just a month ago, we finished up a large study called Steady PD3, which looked at the calcium channel blocker. And the results of this study are going to be published fairly soon, actually. Um, and we look forward to the result. Uh, but we, we have looked at other compounds like coenzyme Q10, and we have studied that very closely, but it was a failure. Um, so the, the bottom line is we don't have a true neuroprotective agent as of today. However, we have to keep working towards such treatments and hopefully we'll discover them. Uh, But until then, symptomatic treatment 
have no reason to be not started. Okay, good answer. And uh, this last question, you don't hear too, too often. It's kind of interesting. It says, the patient's not on any medication for Parkinson's. How often should they continue to go to a movement disorder specialist after they're diagnosed? Right. So uh, that's a good question, too. Uh, if they're not on medication, I would say at the bare minimum, they should go every six months. Why? Because there are lots of new treatments. There are a lot of research opportunities. So, for example, for this individual, hopefully this individual will listen to this podcast. Uh, we do have a research trial uh, that's ongoing right now. And this is meant for people who have been brand new diagnosed. And whether she's going to be eligible or not, I don't know. Or he or she is going to be eligible for this treatment or not, I don't know. But um, they could be. And who best can answer the questions that the medical field needs than people like this individual? Because without people participating in research and helping us discover new treatments, we're never going to discover treatments. So I think... um, Patients who have been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease or waiting for new treatments should participate in research, should be seen by a movement disorder specialist, maybe once every six months, maybe every eight months, whatever, at some fixed interval need to be seen so that we can assess. And I already pointed out that many times Parkinson patients do not realize what else is wrong with them until the doctor actually sees them especially the risk for falling, if they don't realize it, it's too late, we'll start falling already. So being seen by a doctor, expert, who can closely monitor their symptoms and make sure that they're not progressing too fast or they're having some unusual features is absolutely important. And I think it's necessary that they be seen every uh, six to nine months. I would say six months in most cases. Okay. So uh, just the fact you're not on medication doesn't mean you don't need to be checked right. two to three times a year. I mean, twice a year. At least twice a year, yeah, I would twice. say, yeah. Okay. The other related question I think that comes up often, um, which I will address is, um, can I just do something else other than medicine? Can I do exercise? Can I take vitamins? Can I change my diet? Can I, um, you know, sleep in a new way or get oxygen tent put in or whatever or take vitamins or take minerals or do something other than take medicine and usually this type of question comes from people who have had some uh, negative experience with some other medication either they themselves had that or some other family member had there are people who are phobic of pills they somehow have this reluctance to take medication Uh, These individuals usually seek other types of treatment, often taking pills that don't have any scientific foundation, like, for example, vitamins. Uh, There's absolutely no evidence that any vitamin helps Parkinson's disease. Uh, Anybody who's telling you otherwise is just fooling the public because we indeed have looked at a number of different vitamins very closely. Again, large, double-blind, NIH-funded, your tax dollars or my tax dollars paid studies, and they have just miserably failed. They haven't shown that it actually works. And they've been tested in good doses by good doctors over long periods of time, and this just doesn't work. So there's no point in touting vitamins. The other thing is about exercise. You know, there is this latest fad that exercise will uh, just completely wipe out Parkinson's disease. That also 
has been checked very carefully by a lot of people. Again, a large NIH study, several million dollars spent on this, a variety of different exercises, uh, either with the help of a physical therapist or with the help of a uh, gym uh, personnel versus giving them their own self-directed exercise program, it just hasn't worked out that it will actually cure Parkinson's or completely abolish the symptoms. It wouldn't. Now, on the other hand, it might help people feel better. We've done a podcast on this. There is some benefit to doing exercise. It overall makes people feel good. That's true. And also there's some short-term gain in, in, in symptomatic improvement but it doesn't abolish the disease. It doesn't take it away. So uh, that is not a replacement for medication. In, in almost all cases that we have looked at so far, medical therapy is necessary for Parkinson's disease and it needs to be done correctly. Uh, you cannot get out of it by doing something else instead. And there's very, very strong data to support this in multiple different ways. And there's no, no doubt that Um, based on the evidence that we have so far, uh, medical therapy is the primary treatment. And even people who are very mildly affected should consider seeing movement disorder specialists so that we can either put you into research studies that you can help contribute to the advancement of the cause, or at least be carefully monitored to make sure that you're not developing something new. Right. And, uh, by the time you get the symptoms of the shakiness, the substantia nigra is already 80% dead. Right. So, well, so no, nothing's, nothing's going to bring that back. And the, no vitamins or coenzyme well, Q10. Right. So that's right. I think uh, the number about 80 or 50, anyway, a good, good amount of nigra neurons, at least 50% by most studies, they say, are gone by the time you develop Parkinson's disease. So, yes, I think the disease has been around for a long time before you even came down with a tremor, which may be the first symptom of Parkinson's disease that you went and saw a doctor for. And Warren is absolutely right. Um, None of the medicines that we have to date will bring those cells back. Of course, we like to think that someday we'll have a treatment that will bring those uh, cells back or at least improve the situation. We don't have it yet. But certainly overwhelming evidence that none of the nutritional aids, vitamins, minerals, uh, anything that is touted on the internet or on radio or on TV, which claims that it will make Parkinson's better and will magically make it better. You don't have to get a you know, doctor-prescribed medicine. is just humbug. It's not true. It's just charlatans trying to make full use of gullible people's money and take that money as best as they can. There's really no evidence that these um, untested uh, treatment modalities have really any place in Parkinson's disease at all. Okay. And uh, just to, are you done with that section of our talk? You I think so. I think, I think we summarized the main points. And I think if you want me to just give you a little snippet, basically you have been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. If your doctor says and recommends treatment and they are bringing it up because there's legitimate reason to take treatment, then seriously consider taking the treatment. Now, if you are pill phobic or you're like, oh, I really don't want to be on a pill. Um, okay. Well, then if you want to wait for, you know, a few months, six months, a year, whatever, I would be reasonable. 
And if you want to consider going seeing a specialist to see whether you could be a candidate for any kind of research studies, you can contribute to it. That's also reasonable. But waiting for five to seven years for um, some reason, being phobic of the pill or saying that I want to hold it off until I can hold it off for the last time whenever I'm ready to take treatment, there's really no virtue to it. There's no value to it. It's not giving you any advantage. It's already putting you at a disadvantage. Early treatment is not something you should, you know, fear. Uh, and the side effect profile of medication, if it's properly used, is actually pretty good. So that's basically the answer to that question. Right. And like I said before in a couple of podcasts, you, you give up your uh, quality of life between age 62 and 69, where you'd be younger with, with no side effects of the, of the disease then you're going to be older and start getting the same side effects. So it really, you basically lose the better part of your, your, your days. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Now to move on to something a little bit lighter. People may have seen the uh, woman that could smell Parkinson's. And uh, you have an opinion on that, Dr. Sub? It's a very interesting finding. I mean, I never heard of this before, and I don't think the scientific field has heard this before. I never heard of any spouses who came and told me, that they could smell something strange in their husband or wife that made them suspicious, suspicious that there was something going wrong with them. But this story is from England where a registered nurse who cared for a lot of people um, could uh, smell different things. You know, she could smell the smell of TB, tuberculosis, and she could smell uh, Parkinson's because she had a, family member who had Parkinson's disease, she could smell that there was something different. And over time, this individual developed Parkinson's. And then as she was working, she could smell Parkinson's in other individuals as well. And one interesting study that came out of this was that um, they actually collected swabs, the samples from patients from 64 samples, I think, and they tried to do the spectrogram, basically trying to isolate the chemical that might be giving the smell. And one idea is that because in Parkinson's disease, you have disorder of sweat function to some degree, although not much, but there's some sweat dysfunction, that uh, the amount of chemicals that come out in the sweat might give you a different body odor. Um, And that body odor is something that this person can detect. I think these are early days. Uh, there may be some real strong, uh, strong thing that comes out of this, but at this time, it's really a kind of a very intriguing, unusual finding. Who knows? This might lead to something really wonderful. There may be a smell test or a sweat test or odor test that could eventually uh, tell us when Parkinson's occurs and we can detect it in Parkinson patients. But certainly at this point, it's non-placebo controlled. It's an unblinded observational type of face. I do agree that every science has to start somewhere. So this could be the start of something wonderful. But certainly, I don't want anybody to get the idea that they have to make a trip to England in order for them to be diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I, I really don't think that's, that's where we're going with this. So, Okay. And uh, the last thing I talked to you before we got on, is just talk real briefly about the Michael J. Fox movies that the young 19-year-old girl made a computer program that was able to figure out that she could see that he was had Parkinson's years before he knew it himself. 
from his movies. Right. And uh, we're not advocating looking at all your old movies and trying to figure out you know, everybody in your family, whether they have it. But uh, Dr. Sue, do you want to just give an opinion on that? Right, right. So I think this is a uh, very interesting and intriguing idea. I think um, not just this young lady, but there's been many others who have tried to look at historical personalities, uh, videotapes, old, um, you know, old videotapes from the tape era, way back when 1930s old ancient black and white videos have been looked at. Um, there are people who have looked at uh, famous personalities like uh, John Paul, the Pope, uh, looked at uh, Mike uh, Arafat, the leader from the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Uh, people have looked at uh, Hitler's videos and tried to surmise from it whether people have had Parkinson's disease. And some of them will never be proven because uh, their data will never be shown. Now, the good news is Michael J. Fox has been public about his Parkinson's disease, so his video footage actually serves the purpose of having somebody with a clear diagnosis. Now, even in this case, only after he dies and we get an autopsy on his brain will we, will we be sure that he indeed has Parkinson's disease because uh, short of that, we don't have 100% surety. But um, the advantage this young person had is that there are numerous videos, numerous thousands of video footage available because he was an actor and he acted in many, many movies. We can go back and look at it and see whether there are some hints of Parkinson's disease that can show up. Now, this, as interesting as it may be, um, there's really no practicality to it. I don't want anybody to start saying, okay, I'm going to start looking at my old videos and see whether... I can tell whether I got Parkinson's and then start looking at people who don't have Parkinson's disease. Hey, is this going to produce Parkinson's in somebody else or not? I think it's a waste of time and it's really not there yet. And it's a, it's a great travesty if you start looking at somebody's videos and start suspiciously looking at them and say, hey, maybe this person is coming down to Parkinson's. First of all, there's no treatment available even if they were coming to with Parkinson's disease. And such early diagnosis is really, really complicated because if you don't have the, meet the criteria for Parkinson's disease, you really can't diagnose it. So you're just making people more paranoid by telling them that they may be at risk for Parkinson's disease, where it's no use to people at all. So you are creating new disease for no reason. So I personally think it's, a, uh, it's not helpful. It's actually going to make people more sicker. So there's no reason to do this. Uh, it's very intriguing, very interesting. Kudos to this young lady for having done that on Michael J. Fox. And future research, uh, looking at videos and looking at clues and hints and videos may be helpful in future. And if that happens, well, then we'll start using it then. But until that happens, this is just a curiosity. We should, we should just listen through one year and let it go the other year. Okay. I, I kind of like the idea of the, making the news because... 10, 20, 12, 13 years ago, nobody really talked about Parkinson's disease. Now, it's, the more people talk about it, the more funding there'll be. And um, just the fact that somebody does a computer program, to me, brings it more in the limelight. Agreed. I think it's a great idea that we are getting more PR for the disease and people are going to know more about it and work on it and try to hopefully solve it. Right. Okay. Any, uh, any other things you wanted to add, Dr. Sue? Uh, I, think, I think we're good. I think we had a nice show. Thank you again for asking me to come here. We sure. a topic that we have covered 
before, but I think these questions, when they come up, deserve the answers. So I'm, thank- I'm thankful that we did it. So am I. Have a good day. Uh-huh. Bye.